Have you ever rolled out cookie dough, reached for a cookie cutter, and happened upon one shaped like a human brain, and thought to yourself, why'd I buy that? Then boy, do we have a show for you. It's Why'd I Buy That, the podcast where we explore and examine the impulses and influences behind the things we buy. In other words, we investigate all things advertising, the principles and pitfalls, the economics and execution, the stories and psychology behind ads in the world of advertising. I'm your distinguished host, Ryan. And I'm your eminent host, Abe. In this episode, we're going to look at the cognitive biases that advertisers use to convince you and me to buy their products. We'll shop for orange juice, search for discount clothing, and chug some vitamin water. But first, we'll discuss the political leanings of a bank teller. Today, we are talking about cognitive bias, and that is kind of a mouthful. It's a very complex sort of topic, but it is at the root of a lot of advertising techniques and tactics, uh, and it's something that really applies to the way everyone thinks. To define it better, a cognitive bias is a mistake or a shortcut in a mental process. Like, you know, your mental processes are your reasoning, evaluating, remembering. These cognitive biases are the result of holding on to a preference or belief regardless of contrary or contradictory information. This is not the same thing as being biased against another political party or a former uh, romantic rival. A cognitive bias is a systematic and predictable shortcut that your brain makes. And it does it every single time. Yeah, it's, uh, it, you can repeat it. You can, you can predict it. You know it's going to happen every single time yeah, a certain or, or, set of circumstances or, comes up. Right. Or, or certainly most of the time it's, in, it's invoked. Ryan, what does, uh, what does miser mean? A miser? Uh, a miser is a person who likes to hoard their money and, and you know, doesn't like to spend and they, they keep their money in like a, a vault or something in their house Buried and they let their house a... get run down and then they die and they leave their money in their will to like some like plucky kid Obscure, who has to solve a mystery. Yeah, nephew, uh, right. Yeah. Exactly. The, the miser holds on to as much money as they earn. I mean, they very rarely spend money. Our brains operate in a similar way. We are cognitive misers. We don't like to think about things unless we have to. We don't like to spend extra computational effort unless we have to. Think of your morning routine. Uh, you wake up, you hop in the shower, you shampoo and soap and you wash and you dry off. And, and you don't think too hard about it. You right. just kind of do it. It, it's, it happens on autopilot. You're, you've done it so many times that your brain is taking you through this process automatically. Yeah, and this is because we are not completely logical and rational beings. These are the things we do to be contrary to logic and reason. You don't have to logic your way through shampooing your hair. Yeah, you don't you have just to do read it. the back of the bottle every time you yeah. wash your hair. There's a big plus side to this sort of shortcut taking. It saves us a lot of thinking, but it also introduces these errors, these cognitive biases that we see. Scientists have been studying the idea of the cognitive bias for decades. They've identified a lot of different kinds that exist that are predictable, that are repeatable uh, to everyone, basically, who has a human brain. And most of these cognitive biases are represented well in the world of advertising. Yes, we advertisers exploit these. So we make errors in judgment. Advertisers can exploit these and get us to buy their stuff. That's right. Today, we're going to talk about three of these biases. The first one we're going to talk about is the representativeness bias. And this is illustrated by an example from researchers called the Linda problem. The Linda problem. Yeah, if, you, if you know somebody named Linda, you know they 
She's a problem. Yeah, she's anyone named Linda is going to be a problem. It's just it's just comes, comes with, with the name. The, yeah, there's pros and cons to Linda's. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Anyway, uh, a couple of scientists named Amos Tversky and Daniel Kahneman in 1983 developed this example to illustrate cognitive bias in action. They would ask people from all walks of life, statisticians and lay people and just everyday people, people who like bowling, people who need people, people who the, they're the luckiest people of all. Uh, people who are by themselves, yeah, people yeah. who are in relationships. Anyway, they would ask them the following question. They would say, Linda is 31 years old, single, outspoken, and very bright. Well, now, this was this the question they would ask or they would read this to them? They would read this, this to them. They probably quite a question. Memorize. Hey, I have a question for you. <laughs> they would read <laughs> sit, this sit question. Sit down, because it's going to take a while. Yeah, here's the, this is the text that they would see. Yes. Linda is 31 years old, single, outspoken, and very bright. She majored in philosophy. As a student, she was deeply concerned with issues of discrimination and social justice and also participated in anti-nuclear demonstrations. Which is more probable? Answer A, Linda is a bank teller. Answer B, Linda is a bank teller and is active in the feminist movement. So these folks would think for a second and say, well, okay, here's what I feel like. 80% of respondents picked answer B. They said, Linda is a bank teller and is active in the feminist movement. It seems reasonable, right? I mean, Linda is deeply concerned with issues of social justice. Uh, and she's participated in these anti-nuclear demonstrations. People pick this answer, even experienced statisticians who are supposed to who think Who should logically, know better, statisticians. They also selected answer B. The problem with answer B is that it presents two different characteristics. The probability of a person... Uh, being both a bank teller and a feminist is less than than the probability that they're that they're a bank teller. Why? Because if anyone is a bank teller, that does not mean they can't be a feminist. Right. Uh, if you pick answer A, she could very well be a feminist. It's just more likely that she's a bank teller because it gives you more options, more possibilities. We estimate the likeliness of an event by comparing it to an existing prototype in our mind. We can think of people who fit that uh, feminist stereotype. Uh, they're anti-nuclear, they're in, uh, concerned with social justice and discrimination. So when, we, those buzz, when those buzzwords illuminate in our mind, we skew to answering the question, thinking, well, yeah, she's got to be a feminist. That adds up. Yeah, we're comparing, sure, she's we're a bank comparing Linda to the stereotype that exists in our minds. That is representativeness. We compare an item or a product or something to the stereotype that we already have built. Yeah. Because answer B seems more representative of Linda, it seems more probable in spite of logic. Exactly. And representativeness definitely plays a role in advertising, especially when products are new, because if they want you to make an assumption, make a decision about a product, it's best if you can compare it to a stereotype and, and come out in yeah, a favorable some, way. Especially something that you liked. Yeah. If they can make a favorable comparison and rely on a stereotype, a, a prototype in your mind that you liked, that's, yeah. that's good. Here's an example. Abe, if you were to go to the movies and a trailer comes on and the first thing you hear is, from the producers of Jurassic Park... What would you think? I would think, man, that f it's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. It's going to be fantastic. Exactly, because you have built a stereotype. You know, okay, Jurassic Park was this kind of movie. Uh, it had action. It had thrills. It had all these things. And these guys it produced Lara it. Laura Dern. Yeah. It's so, so you assume that the probability is that the movie is going to be like that. But they're, they're drawing on my my bias, my uh, preferences, that that stereotype in my mind. They're yes. uh, harnessing that energy 
right? Yeah. Behind and, that. And they, they know Abe loves Jurassic Park, so that's all I need to say. The movie trailer just ends there. There's no title and or I, actors. And I, or anything. I show up, and it turns <laughs> and Abe out, will be there. Yeah, and it turns out it's like a remake of. It's uh, a it's a it's a it's a very sad period drama with no dinosaurs. <laughs> yes, but it was made by the same producers. Yeah, completely different script and idea, and yeah, totally different genre. But uh, there you go. But that's what they do with products. If they can tie a product to to any sort of existing stereotype in your head and make you think, oh, I liked that thing before. I'm going to like this, even when that's not necessarily going to be true. I think that's one of the reasons there are so many darn sequels out there because, hey, I liked Cars 1. I'm going to like Cars 2. Hey, I liked Cars 2. I'm going to like Cars 3. Hey, I like Jurassic Park 1. I'm going to like You're going Jurassic to love Park 2, 3, 4, yeah. 5, 6. Yeah, but that's exactly how uh, product launches oftentimes work. From the people who brought you this, from uh, here's a Crystal Pepsi from the the people who brought you the beloved Pepsi you've you've uh, been drinking for years. Those darn advertisers are so good at exploiting biases, uh, these predictable biases. Well, all this talk of science and banks and exploitation is making me want to go back to college and get some student loans. So while I do that, let's take a short break. We're back with Why Did I Buy That? Talking about cognitive biases. We gave you a hilarious and insightful tour of the representativeness <laughs> bias. We struggled, but we, we made it. We're here. Uh, but now we're going to talk about anchoring, which yeah, is our, another one of the our, a big cognitive biases. second bias of yeah. the day. Anchoring is the tendency to rely too heavily or anchor ourselves to an initial piece of information when making a decision. Uh, think of an anchor at you know, keeps a boat in place. That or boat's a not sailor's move. arm tattoo. Yeah, I, sure. <laughs> Which has nothing to do with this, but is a picture of an anchor. Picture an anchor in your mind. This bias shows up in the context of comparisons, and particularly as it concerns advertising. Uh, advertising. Advertising. <laughs> Come see some advertisings with me in uh, when we're talking about prices. Let me give you an example. Let's say you go to your neighborhood golf shop. Because there is one in every neighborhood. Yeah, it's a, it's a requirement. Yeah. What kind of mayor would allow neighborhoods <laughs> to spring up without a it's golf a, shop? In fact, it's its own you must, zone. Yeah, you, you have must. your retail, you have your commercial, industrial, you have golf, golf. shop. Yeah, yeah. that's on um, yeah, Sim City. I didn't make it that far, but uh, that is the, the later zone, editions. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, you have your golf shop. So you show up at your golf shop hoping to buy uh, a golf bag for your dad. Maybe Father's Day is coming up. Uh, and hopefully he golfs. <laughs> hopefully he golfs. Either way, you've just got your mindset. Hey, I, Dad, I'm going to turn you into a golfer. I know that you're 59 and you you've never love, done it before, but this yeah. is the year. This is when it's going to yes. happen. <laughs> Turning you into a golfer, buddy. Uh, you are shocked to find that the bag you like costs $300. Whoa, I ain't buying that. That's too expensive, you think. And you walk out the door. Later, you go online and buy that same bag for $250. Cool, I just saved 50 bucks. you say to yourself and you high-five yourself. But did you really? No, you didn't save 50 bucks. You spent 250 bucks. And you, my friend, have been a victim of anchoring. You yeah, just you, been you anchored. anchored yourself to that $300 price point, and you just kind of assumed, okay, that's what it costs. And so yeah, anything that, under that feels great, feels like you're saving money. 
Uh, and advertisers use anchoring all the time. They simply give you a price especially that becomes at, your frame of reference. Especially when they're selling boats and yeah. at marinas and things. Yeah. like It's so much easier when it's an anchor, aquatic anchoring. Yeah. related product. Uh, no, they just they give you a piece of information. You kind of weld yourself to that and assume that that's the price. And so that they can give you a lower price and you feel great that you saved money. Yeah, that's that initial piece of information that carries undue uh, weight in your mind. That first price that you heard, that yeah. for some reason, we our brains stick to that and hold on to that. Here's an example of a vintage grocery store ad that does exactly what we're talking about. They'll give you an initial price and offer you a better one. If you're used to paying $1.29 for a half gallon of orange juice, what would you say to paying only 69 cents? And if hundreds of savings are on hand at a store with its own top quality brand? I call that a plus. What if there's select produce and packaged meat to make it even easier on your shopping week? Definitely a plus. Well, now comes the test. What do you call grocery shopping for up to 30% less? That's really a plus. That's right. Plus discount foods. If it's not a savings, it's not at plus. This is a great example of anchoring at work. You hear the original price and then the new price and think, wow, that's almost half off. What a great deal. I'd be an idiot not to fill my minivan with all the orange juice I can haul and drive it home. Yeah, you, think that, that, like a you think that that first price is the baseline. You think, okay, that's what everyone else is charging. And that's, in, in fact, kind of why the MSRP exists, the Manufacturer Suggested Retail Price. For most retail goods, there is a specific price that they charge, and yet... Um, that they, yeah, they suggest. They oh, suggest, this is, oh, this is wow, what you should charge. Sell this car for, you ought to sell this car for $40,000. But when you go into a store, you see deals and discounts that are well below MSRP because... MSRP is simply an anchor for everyone to latch onto and so that you can you can explore those deals. Yeah, they're conditioning you to a certain price point so you feel like you're getting a, a, a deal, a bargain. So, you know, and this is interesting because even if you didn't want orange juice before you saw that ad or didn't normally pay that price for it, you're just like, well, I better go get some. Uh, and this is, a, you know, that's an old spot, but the exact same thing is used by advertisers every single day. Some brands even have you compare within their own line of products. You might see a software program for sale on a website. Uh, there's the base program, and then there's an, a separate add-on that you can purchase. And then there's the bundle that has both the base program and the add-on for a lower price than the combined total of the two. Yeah, and, and so that's a way of getting you to pay more than you would for the base price. Say the base price is $30, the add-on is $15, and yet you see the bundle priced at $40. So that's less than the combined total, but you're still paying $10 more than you were planning to because all you really needed was the base model. This is how they get you to pay more for a product you don't really need because it seems like a good deal. Everyone loves a bundle. Abe, Abe buys bundles all the time. That's the only way. It's the only way to shop. The only way to live yeah, is he, buy the bundle. Yeah, he only he only buys bundles. He'll go in the store and say, what bundles you got for me? Bundle me. Bundle me. <laughs> Give me a bundle. Advertisers and businesses and marketers are right to use this tactic. People actually prefer getting a deal to getting a fair price. Of course, retailers would prefer to have a simple, fair price that's the same all the time. They don't have to deal with sales or with coupons. It makes it easier to maintain inventory, and nobody has to work on jacking up the prices only to invent deals. There's no more half-off hot wings trying to lure customers into your store. Yeah, you just have hot wings at a simple price and everyone buys it. 
Uh, J.C. Penney actually thought about this and said, "You know what? It is better for us as a as a retailer to just do away with sales. We're just going to give everyone a will fair love price. It. Yeah, customers are going to be on board. They don't want to deal with they the hassle. A, of, they want a fair price. Yeah, they don't want to cut out coupons. Who wants a coupon? Uh, we're going to do it. So 2012, they announced that they're doing away with sales and coupons. Anything, everything's going to be fairly priced. It's going to be a good price for the customer. We're still going to make a good profit. Everybody wins. It's a win-win situation." So how did it go, Abe? How many things have you bought at JCPenney this week? Well, it didn't go very well for JCPenney. People hated it. Nobody wanted to shop there. People didn't feel like they were getting a deal, so they turned away. The prices at JCPenney didn't change. You were still getting the same shirt for 30 bucks. Uh, it was just marked as $30. There wasn't a sale associated with it, you know, $10 off this shirt or 20% off. It just cost 30 bucks. This campaign lasted for about a year before they had to reverse course and bring back those pesky sales and coupons. And along the way, they lost a lot of customers. Without an initial price serving as an anchor, customers didn't feel comfortable about saving. They felt like they were getting taken advantage of. Yeah, if you don't know that you're saving money, you don't feel good about it. But if even if they jack up the prices, which is a lot of retailers actually do this, a $30 shirt, they'll raise up the price to $45 and then that, so that they can say, oh, it's $15 off. You feel better about $15 off than just something that seems reasonable. All this talk of anchors and anchoring and coupons has reminded me that I have a coupon for 50% off nachos Ooh. and it expires in five minutes. So I'm going to go take advantage. When we return, we'll look at our final example of cognitive bias. We're back with Why Did I Buy That, talking today about cognitive biases and the tricks our mind plays on us and how that enables advertisers to trick us. We've discussed representative bias and anchoring bias, and now we're on to our third and final cognitive bias, framing. Framing is another cognitive bias, and there are some ways that it's similar to representativeness, but it's also very much its own thing. Uh, we tend to interpret things based on the way they're described to us. It's as simple as a half-full or half-empty glass. If I say, Abe, here's a glass of water, it is half-full, that's a positive description. If I say, here's a glass of water, it is half-empty, that's a negative description. Uh, but they're both describing the exact same thing. The water, the level of water in the glass has not changed yeah, right, at all. It's right there in the middle. That's right. The argument has been framed in a certain way, or the description, rather. It's couched in language or focused on a particular aspect or delivered in a way to emphasize one attribute and diminish another. In a funny way, framing is a bit like anchoring. Your starting point is what matters a lot. With anchoring, it's a price. With framing, it's staging the discussion or debate or features of a product in a certain way to the exclusion of other attributes or aspects. So another example, you go into the supermarket and you're, you're excited to buy some, some meat. Yeah, I uh, love when it's meat day yeah, at a, the supermarket. Abe eats meat once on a month. Once a month he eats meat. He goes Look in the supermarket. Low some, on iron the other days. He never knows what kind of meat it's going to be either. Just it's roll the dice. Just kind of, yeah, it's just Leave kind of, it up to whimsy and yeah. lady luck. So Abe goes in for meat day. He goes into the supermarket. He sees some meat. One package uh, says 80% lean. An identical package next to it says 20% fat. Uh, which one are you more likely to buy, Abe? Well, of course, I'm going to buy the one with 20% fat. That's what I'm there yeah, for. You right? were trying to bulk up, yeah. No, of course, you're going to buy the one that says 80% lean. That's what you're after. You came for this meat. You don't want to buy fat. You want to buy the meat. You want the lean. You want the lean experience. Uh, the meat is identical, but one is framed as being healthier. One is framed as being less healthy. 
A lot of framing is based on the subtleties of language. Picture in your mind a mid-sized sedan. One ad for it depicts the vehicle as affordable. This is the ideal commuter car for a student heading to school. Uh, it's reasonably priced. It's, it's, it's affordable. It's what you ought to buy. Meanwhile, at the dealership, the salesman says to you, well, oh, this same car, this same midsize sedan, all oh, this thing's cheap. It's stripped of key features. It doesn't have air conditioning and power windows and power Only locks. 14 cup holders instead of the normal 27. Yeah. What's going on here? It's the exact same vehicle, but the framing is very different. In one frame, it's affordable and something you're going to want to buy because you like affordable things. It's good for your budget, good for your wallet, good for your bottom line. Your in bank the, account's going to love you. In the other, it's cheap. Which it's cheap. Hey, you're not going to want that. Cheap. Everyone's going to laugh at you. It's going to break. Cheap car. Be embarrassed. Mocking you. And People will throw it. items at it. Rotten produce. I'm throwing items at by. that car. I am displeased with it. Cheapskate driving around. Framing even makes a difference when it comes to a brand or product name. You can frame a product simply by naming it something or a brand simply by naming it. Here's an example of a brand uh, that uses the framing in its name. Here's Vitamin Water from 2010. People do some crazy things to stay healthy, like sleeping in hyperbaric chambers, doing that hot yoga till they pass out, or wrapping their bodies in cheese to heal wounds. <laughs> Me? I like to keep it real simple by drinking Vitamin Water Triple X. The vitamins and antioxidants help support a healthy body, so I don't have to do nothing too crazy, like extreme aromatherapy. What? See ya. I'm on the pursuit of happiness and I know. This ad frames vitamin water as a healthy drink. It's a simple and effective alternative to some of these crazy health trends. Yeah, the, Yoga the frame it sets up is that is time is important, right? You don't have uh, Bikram yoga takes time. All these things take effort. They're complicated. And I can get vitamins and antioxidants just by drinking this vitamin yeah, water. This That's is all what could I be need. more I don't, simple I don't than need anything else. Drinking something yeah, but to able, stay healthy. What if I were to frame it in this way? Vitamin water is delicious. It's a sweet tasting beverage that you can easily use to wash down a burger and fries. Obviously, that's a very different way of framing the same item. You're talking about the same thing, but I'm not thinking about how much time I spend taking care of my body now. I'm thinking about how good it would go with a burger. Yeah, and, and what the ad neglects to mention is that vitamin water actually has quite a bit of sugar in it. It's not necessarily that healthy a drink. It's, but it, it says vitamin on it. They it couldn't does do vitamin. that. If but they was... frame it that way and they ignore the, the sugar content, which is almost as much as like a can of Coke. Framing can be misleading. Information is omitted or exaggerated. Words and language are a key component of it. And statistics and numbers also do a lot of the work in framing. Consider this. If I tell you that four out of five dentists recommend a certain toothpaste, those numbers do a lot of work in convincing you to buy the product, right? I love dentist recommendations. Yeah, that's how I buy most of my things. Four out of five dentists love this movie. Yeah. Why wouldn't I go see it? Exactly. Well, you could flip that around and say, well, one out of five dentists do not recommend this. Or, or maybe a pharmaceutical company says, hey, our drug works 80% of the time. That's a good number. That's that a, is. That's a, yeah. The competitor would flip it around and say, well, 20% of the time, their this, stuff this does a 20% yeah, failure rate. Garbage. Five you might as well take a sugar pill, a placebo. Yeah. It does nothing. And yet we fall for it again and again. We respond to framing because it's a mental shortcut uh, to understanding something. If somebody presents you a description of the way the world works, you just assume it works that way and you make decisions based on that assumption. Uh, we just process information and just, and just go with it. 
For many years, Volvo developed a reputation as being very safe vehicles. They touted stats and features and did a lot of work and advertising to show that they were safe. They're a safe car. That framing worked. They talked about their cars in the context of safety. And today, they maintain that reputation, even though their cars aren't any safer or... Basically, everybody else caught up with Volvo, so they're not necessarily safer than anyone else. And the frame is still there. There's a lot of similarity among these three cognitive biases. They're mental shortcuts we use, uh, and they're predictable. They're invoked in a certain set of circumstances, and advertisers know how to exploit those circumstances to get us to make mistakes in logic and in judgment and buy their product for a higher price or think of their product as being safe when it's maybe there's other things we should be focusing on and that sort of thing. Yeah, so if you're an advertiser, look at cognitive biases. Here's a gateway to getting people to buy your stuff. If you're a consumer, look at cognitive biases and say, oh, maybe I should start thinking more logically and and rationally when it comes to making buying choices. So you could ask, are cognitive biases bad or good? Well, yes, they are. But they're a part of life and part of advertising. You didn't answer the question. Well, I did. I said said yes to both. They're good (laughs) and bad. We we need to be aware of them. We ought to be aware of them, and both as advertisers and consumers. Yes. Well, that's our show for today. Why'd I Buy That is produced by Saxton Horn. If you have comments on today's episode, questions about advertising, ideas for future episodes, or would like to tell Ryan that five out of five dentists recommend he brush his teeth more regularly, please visit our website at saxtonhorne.com. Until next time, we wish you healthy drinks, friendly bank tellers, and all the 69-cent orange juice you can buy. This is Why'd I Buy That? Thank you for listening. 